When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We had a good discussion on ensuring global energy security. We just heard from Jamal Khashoggi's wife. I was straightforward and direct in discussing it. I made my view crystal clear. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. They don't seem to have many answers. If not a nuclear agreement, which is not going to satisfy Israel, then what? Russian and Chinese are lobbying hard uh, throughout the GCC to find friends and, and extend their influence. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It was the fist bump heard round the world. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as President Biden makes his way to Saudi Arabia at last. Fist bumps MBS talks Khashoggi, but does not get very specific about oil. We'll have a lot more on the trip coming up as Senator Joe Manchin back at home puts Democrats' reconciliation hopes on ICE and the CHIP Act may move all on its own now. We'll discuss it all coming up with Congressman John Katko, Republican from New York, and with our panel, Al Mater, Democratic strategist, joined by Rick Davis, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor partner at Stone Court Capital. Later on, we turn to COVID cases surging in cities around the country thanks to a new sub-variant. I spoke earlier today with Dr. Anthony Fauci, and later we will discuss the return to work here in New York with Sally Bakewell of Bloomberg News. The president wrapping the trip to Saudi Arabia, at least almost. He arrived in Jeddah today. This is a four-day trip abroad to the Middle East and says he expects further oil supply increases from Saudi Arabia after meeting today with the kingdom's rulers. Yes, that included MBS. People were breathless as the two met on the red carpet and a fist bump happened. I'm hearing more about the fist bump, though, than the policy. When it comes to energy, let's hear it from the president's own words. He did speak and take questions from reporters a short time ago. We had a good discussion on ensuring global energy security and adequate oil supplies to support global economic growth. And that will begin shortly. I'm, and, uh, and I'm doing all I can to increase the supply for the United States of America, which I expect to happen. The Saudis share that urgency. And based on our discussions today, I expect we'll see further steps in the coming weeks. So that's it, though. No three million barrels in the back of Air Force One as he flies back 
the hope here is, I'm guessing, what we've been hearing, and that is creating a bit of a stir and some urgency underneath the next OPEC meeting. This is where we start our conversation today with Congressman John Katko, Republican from New York, ranking member on the House Homeland Security Committee. It's great to have you back, Congressman. There's a few things I'd love to talk about with you, starting with this trip. Is the president's journey to Israel and now Saudi Arabia one that makes America safer? Well, I don't know if it makes America safer, but what it does is at least give them uh, some attention, which is critically important. And as we all know, the Middle East is a hornet's nest of issues, mm-hmm. some positive, some negative. Of course, on the one hand, unfortunately now that we're a net import of oil again as, as opposed to a net exporter like we were in the previous administration, the Middle East is more important. So Saudi Arabia is actually a very important partner. Yeah. On the other hand, their human rights uh, the record is abysmal. And uh, we have to deal with that. And showing some love and recognition to Israel is always good. They're a, they're a, they're a bastion of democracy in the Middle East, and that's a very, very important thing to do as well. So lots of thorny issues, but any time we go over there, I think it's a good thing. Okay, this is, uh, th- that's a good place to start. When you start talking about uh, remaining you know, spare capacity, though, there are a lot of questions about what Saudi Arabia or, or the UAE would be even capable of doing. And then, of course, what we might be able to do here, Congressman, we, we haven't taken a refinery off mothballs in a long time. If we suddenly got an influx of oil, would we be able to refine it? Uh, well, it depends on the type of crude. Of course, there's different types of crude, light crude, sweet crude, and, yeah. and that, that's, that, that's the problem, right? But the bottom line is, and, and this is a fact, and I'm saying this through the lens of being the most bipartisan member of the past four terms in Congress, but it's a fact that on the, early on in this administration, the, um, the emphasis uh, was not on domestic oil production, and that's kind of caused us to be in a situation we're in now. And we need to get back to that, but we also need to have better relationships with our international partners, and I, and I, this is going to Saudi Arabia is never going to be a bad thing. Going to Israel is never a bad thing. Mm-hmm. They need to know that we, we know from a, we have mutual interests, and that is fighting back against Iran and what Iran's trying to do with their nu- nuclear capabilities. And very important that we show solidarity with some of our friends in the Middle East. Yeah, is it a sign that that's working when you hear that Vladimir Putin is going to Tehran next week? Well, it certainly ups the ante for uh, uh, Iran, and Iran yeah. should feel the heat from us uh, together, uh, the t- togetherness that we're projecting. That's a very important thing, because Iran really is a very dangerous and destabilizing element in the Middle East. And let's not forget, not too long ago, there was, there was some bombings of oil refineries by Iran in, in Saudi Arabia, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So uh, there's, there is that constant threat, and the more that the folks in the Middle East that are our friends and, uh, and allies the more they know, feel like we have their backs, the better off we're going to be long-term, all of us, collectively. Congressman Katko, you mentioned Saudi Arabia's human rights record. This was another big part of the trip, and whether the president or how the president was going to speak about the, the, the Khashoggi murder, he did get to this, even in his opening remarks, and he was asked about it quite a bit. I'd like for you to, to give a listen to what he said. I raised it at the top of the meeting, making it clear what I thought of it at the time and what I think of it now. And it was exactly, I was straightforward and direct in discussing it. I made my view crystal clear. I said very straightforwardly, for an American president to be silent on an issue of human rights, is this consistent with, inconsistent with who we are and who I am? How did he do with that? How was the wording? How was the posture? And did you believe him? Um, well, listen, uh, of course I believe him. He's a president. And I'm going to give him, I'm going to credit what he's saying is the truth and what he said. But, you know, bottom line is, what are we supposed to do? I mean, uh, human rights violations are, are, if we call them on it and say this is wrong, it's got to stop, and we push them, that's a good thing. 
Um, should we turn a blind eye to it? Of course not. And we should never do that. And it doesn't sound like he did. But in the end, we got to put that into the total mix, like I said at the beginning. Yeah. It's a very, very complicated place in the Middle East. And, God knows. you know, you got to take that into consideration with everything else we're working he on. He said now. MBS told him he didn't do it, Congressman. What's that? He said that MBS told him that he did not kill Khashoggi, that it was not him, and that he brought those who were responsible to justice. Well, I'm sure the intelligence community knows otherwise, but yeah. we would take, you take that for what it's worth. We're spending time with Congressman John Katko of New York. This has been quite a couple of days uh, on Capitol Hill. My goodness, the back and forth between Joe Manchin, Democrats, Mitch McConnell, and Republicans with regard to a reconciliation bill versus a China competes bill has become uh, basically exhausting, Congressman. There is a bipartisan plan, though, to get the China competes bill, which includes the CHIP Act, passed. You've got a version on the House. There's a competing version in the Senate. And there's a great worry that they're going nowhere fast now, especially as Mitch McConnell threatens to pull Republican votes in the face of a reconciliation bill by Democrats. Do you like this idea of just chipping, uh, I should say, passing the CHIP Act as a standalone? Listen, uh, we got to take a look at this by by order of priority, right? Mm -hmm. And by order of priority, um, uh, uh, bringing back chip manufacturing to the United States has got to be a huge priority. God forbid if China decides to go into Taiwan tomorrow and takes over Taiwan, and then gets a stranglehold on that high-end chip manufacturing, which is about 80% of the market, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, worldwide. If we don't domesticate some of that stuff to guard against that hop, the possible eventuality, uh, we are we are not being smart. And so re- uh, uh, reshoring or bringing back some of that domestic chip production and incentivizing is a good idea. But let's not forget, it's a relatively small investment when you compare it about to consider how much money oh my is going God. to be put into chip manufacturing nationwide. Yes, It's a small investment. Because I'll give an example. Uh, in circus are contemplating a possible a possible chip manufacturing plant. It would be a hundred billion with a B, hundred billion dollar investment in Syracuse, New York, over a ten year period, hmm. and would create fifteen to twenty thousand jobs at an average of one hundred sixty thousand a pop. Yeah. Immediately, that's just one location. We need those all over the country. And that's what they're contemplating. So. Providing the seed money would be an excellent investment, and from a national security standpoint... Well, that's where I was going. As the ranking member on on Homeland Security, uh, do you tell your your colleagues how important this is from a national security standpoint, or do they know this already and this is bogged down by everything else? I I always say economic security is national security. We don't have economic security with respect to chip manufacturing, and that's one of the central components of modern manufacturing now. It's in vehicles, it's in your refrigerators, it's in your microwaves it's in every device you right. have and if we don't if we don't have a good handle on that and the bad guy actor like china decides to go into taiwan which is highly likely at some point mm-hmm. we are really being fooled so the sooner we get this done the better and i couldn't i couldn't uh, support it enough i heard about an issue that, that you were uh, trying to get your arms around today that I had to ask you about because it was hard to believe at first that the, that the department of homeland security will not provide information on terror plots, not not attacks, but things that had been plotted until Congress gets waivers uh, from accused non-citizens. First of all, am I am I representing that accurately, that we, we need the accused to sign a waiver for us to know what they were intending to do? Yes, well, our job, our central job in Homeland Security, and I'm the ranking member for Homeland Security, our central job is to conduct oversight of the Homeland Security Committee yeah and also to ensure that we do everything we can to keep the country safe. You can only do that if information is flowing back and forth. Information is the lifeblood of national security and homeland security. And so we asked for information about two things. 
One is the attempted assassination of President Bush, former President Bush, which was done by an, a, a criminal alien who was going to utilize the poorer southern border to bring more people across. That was one. And the other one was two illegal aliens in the United States who are plotting to have a mass shooting mm-hmm. at a Virginia Fourth of July celebration. Yes, right. So we asked Homeland Security, as they always do, hey, what's going on? Uh, can give us your background on this. And they said, we're not going to give you any background unless you get waivers from the accused. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, okay, we want to get waivers from people accused of terrorism that well, aren't American citizens, which we've never had to do before, which is insane. I don't think ISIS is in the business of signing waivers. That one uh, on from July 4th, is that the, the, the attack or the attempted attack from Richmond, Virginia that was foiled? Yes, it was. Yes, we it talked was. to the mayor about that today, as a matter of fact. So, so uh, how, how the heck? How the heck can you... Uh, figure out where the threats are if you're not even getting briefings on them. And this has never no. happened before, to my knowledge. Yeah. No more security. This is, this is crazy. Congressman, I don't want to sneak up on you because I only have 30 seconds left, but you're a former prosecutor. Okay. You're also one of 10 Republicans who voted for impeachment. Should the January 6th committee refer what it knows for criminal charges against the former president? Whether whether they do so officially or not, they're, they're they're essentially doing that in the court of public opinion, and so then it's up to the Department of Justice to make their decision. So yeah. we'll see what happens with that. So send it to DOJ. It sounds like Congressman. Thank you. I think someone's calling. John Katko of New York with us on the fastest hour in politics. We've set the baseline. Now we assemble the panel. Rick Davis coming in along with Al Motor today on Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden has already heard from Jamal Khashoggi's fiance via Twitter, at least. It came up during his news conference. Not good. This after he brought it up with MBS. As he said he would, kind of, he had demurred on questions about whether he would raise the killing directly, but he sure did today, as we've already gone through. But the response was remarkable. He didn't include this in his opening remarks. It was in the questions, and there weren't too many of them, questions and answers with reporters after. What was the reaction from Mohammed bin Salman? Here's the president. He basically said that he, uh, he, he was not personally responsible for it. I, I indicated I thought he was. He said he was not personally responsible for it, and he took action against those who were responsible. And, uh... and we heard from 
as I mentioned, Khashoggi's fiance. This came up. It was one of the NBC reporters brought it up in a question. Was, here, here you go. We just heard from Jamal Khashoggi's wife who said, after this visit, the blood of MBS's next victim is on your hands. What do you say to Mrs. Khashoggi? I'm sorry she feels that way. I was straightforward back then. I was straightforward today. What I This is a meeting. Not I didn't come here to meet with the Crown Prince. I came here to meet with the GCC and nine nations to deal with the security and, and uh, the needs of, of the free world, and particularly the United States, and not leave a vacuum here, which was happening as it has in other parts of the world. We've been talking about that vacuum quite a bit lately with our panel. Let's assemble the panel right now. Rick Davis joins us for the Friday edition. Bloomberg Politics contributor joined today by Al Mater, Democratic strategist and partner at Brownstein Hyatt. Al, welcome back, Rick. Always great to have you. We've talked, Rick, a lot about this uh, trip leading up to it and his final arrival today in Jeddah. How did he do? You know, look, I mean, he, he got through the day. He he did exactly what he said he was going to do. Uh, I actually thought he gave us more insight into the meeting with MBS than I thought he was going to. Yeah. Uh, it would have been very easy to say that, uh, uh, that you know, MBS gave him a response, and he's not, you know, he prefer not to go into Was details that right about way to the handle meeting. It? You know, look, I mean, he's a forthright guy. He loves to talk to the media, and <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it is who he is. Yeah. This is the brand of uh, Joe Biden that you get all the time, and so it has its pluses and minuses. It, it obviously had a, a negative reaction from uh, Khashoggi's uh, fiance, which you would expect, right? I mean, sure. family members would not want this meeting to ever take place, but mm-hmm. there are higher priorities. Uh, for this administration. And I think, you know, filling that vacuum, ensuring that uh, Russia and China do not take advantage of us in uh, this period of time uh, in the Middle East and and securing a stronger relationship that can result in, in, in more hydrocarbons is mm-hmm. what his task was. And it sounds like that got done. Although we're not sure, right? He says, well, we'll see in a couple of weeks what we get. Al, before we start getting into some of the other issues, how did the president comport himself how did how did you uh how did the wording work for you on on the specifically the Khashoggi issue sure well I should just disclose to your listeners I do do some work with the kingdom so I I need to say that up front but I thought the president was as Rick said he is always forthright he was resolute he expressed his disgust and disappointment apparently in person which reflects what his position has always been, and, and frankly, the U.S. position has always been. Mm-hmm. And so I give the president credit for that. I think what's important coming out of this it are the myriad substantive accomplishments that were named. Okay. Israel flying directly into the, the kingdom, an expanded peace fire in Yemen. Uh, I can go on, but the president listed five or six major substantive accomplishments, and I think, as Rick said, uh, it, it's terrific for the region and it's terrific for the United States interest. Did he need to be more specific about energy, Rick? He's talking about energy security as more of a concept and saying that in a couple of weeks time, well, we'll see more. I mean, is he waiting for the next OPEC meeting? Well, let's let's be clear. In the last OPEC plus meeting, they increased production that has helped to start bring down energy prices in mm-hmm. the United States already. Right. And so you could argue that this trip was as much a thank you to that effort to get us to where we are today as it is to encourage even more in the future. The bottom line is we're getting a a bigger flow from OPEC, uh, Saudi Arabia, and others. Uh, It it is not without its cost, which was today's meeting. 
And uh, and sure, yeah, I think that uh, you know we've already seen a pretty precipitous drop in the last 30 days uh, for gasoline prices in the United States, and that's what we hope to see continuing for the month of uh, July and August. So mm-hmm. um, by the time he gets to Labor Day, if the price of gas is reduced by a dollar, dollar and a half uh, from its high, uh, he'll be able to declare victory. Should you have been more specific about that, Al? Yeah, should you have been more specific about the energy out. agreement? Yeah, I mean, just to quickly point out, to particularly those who are progressive who, who really didn't want the president to make this trip at all, yeah. in addition to the oil expansion, uh, the United States and the kingdom agreed on a significant partnership on green technology. So if you care about the global environment and global economy being more green, this meeting result will result in that. And so that's a tremendous accomplishment. The takeaways diplomatically, Rick, we talked a lot about the uh, Abraham Accords and how it could potentially be expanded to include Saudi Arabia. Was the foundation laid for that? Yeah, there's been a lot of work to date, um, and Al would know probably a lot more about it than I do. But um, I, I think there's optimism that that um, Saudi Arabia would take the same steps that Morocco and 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 UAE and others have taken. Yeah. Um, and 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 it is the interest uh, uh, of MBS to modernize his country. I mean, he's done a lot in the sort of domestic realm that we don't talk about because we have so much anxiety about what he's done in right. foreign policy. Al, could Saudi Arabia join the Accords in our lifetimes? I think it's certainly possible. Um, you look at what they just did with respect to those islands in the North Red Sea, yeah. allowing Israeli tourists coming in. You look at what they did. I guess with anything is possible allowing. with some of the takeaways that we heard. <laughs> Al Mater, stay where you are. Rick Davis, our panel for the hour on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Have you started shaking hands again? Are you still fist bumping like the president has been trying to do on this trip to the Middle East? I actually asked Dr. Anthony Fauci about it earlier today on Balance of Power here on Bloomberg, along with the drive to get people back in the office just as this new sub-variant takes hold. We'll start to get into this coming up next with Bloomberg's Sally Bakewell, who covers the banking industry. And Wall Street has, of course, had a patchwork of policies on this. We'll see if any of them are working. Interesting conversation uh, with Dr. Anthony Fauci that we're going to discuss with uh, Sally Bakewell in just a moment about interactions. I have to ask you, Sally, first of all, thanks for coming in. You cover banking. How did you end up with me here? This is but it's there's actually uh, a method to the madness because Wall Street was really kind of leading the curve on getting people back to work. Right. The post covid return. And I want to ask you about that, having discussed a lot of this uh, with uh Anthony Fauci today, starting with the fist bumps. Are you shaking hands, Justin, with people? Here's what the doctor said. Well, I'm not going to talk about what the president should be doing or not. He is quite protected. He's vaccinated. How about the rest of us? Very carefully. My own self is that if you are in a situation where you um, you don't know the status of an individual, you should do what you can to avoid contact 
that might be spreading infection. I mean, I don't want to be on record saying you shouldn't be shaking hands. <laughs> that becomes a soundbite. See, he didn't want to go there, I guess. Sally, thanks again for being here. Is everyone shaking hands where you are when you're covering Wall Street or are you putting the elbow up? You know, I was just about to say I did shake hands earlier today and it felt a little bit awkward. Um, but I'm going to try and shake more hands as, um, as wow. I go along. Okay, yeah. Did you like run and wash it right away? Was it an awkward thing? <laughs> no, I didn't. I just felt the mood shift a little bit as I did. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Okay. And oh. the, the other thing I was going to say is that um, when we talk about Wall Street and return to office, yeah. I wanted to start by talking about what happens when they aren't in the office and why it is important, if I may. Okay, because they're out at party and spreading COVID? They probably are doing that. Great. But also, as, as we all know, finance firms, they're required to be very scrupulous in how they monitor their communications, uh -huh. um, you know, to head off any kind of improper conduct. And of course, that system has been challenged by the proliferation of mobile messaging apps like mm -hmm. WhatsApp and mm -hmm. so on. Um, but when everyone went home, this was further strained. And of course, people started to use those more and more. And now a number of banks are under investigation for improper use of yeah. unauthorized devices wow. um, and we had we've had bank earnings um, so this is creating more than uh, health issues uh, yeah. clearly and this is another reason why I think you know being back in the office is important there's a kind of compliance and regulatory right. layer here well let's listen to what uh, dr. Fauci said about it because you look where we work at other places uh, the plexiglass is coming down not seeing a lot of masks sometimes you do it depends on what workplace you're in of course what city you're in but there's a patchwork of policies out there and companies are trying to update them this is what dr fauci suggested about uh, their attempt to do so well it depends on what you mean joe by back into the office i mean we are i am right now in my office yeah. at the national institutes of health i'm alone now in this room but when we have people who are coming in and out, mm -hmm. uh, who are here on business, we're wearing masks. So therefore, companies have no idea what to do. How many Wall Street firms or do they all have their own advisors on this? Um, so I think it's, Wall Street's kind of divided into two camps here, mm -hmm. a sort of harsher one and a slightly softer one. And you have the likes of Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, um, Citadel, they're among the firms, and Morgan Stanley, they're among the firms that have really pushed people. They've been at the forefront to try and get people back into the office. Um, Morgan Stanley's chief executive officer, James Gorman, he said last year, and it became quite a famous comment that if you can go to a restaurant, you can jolly well come there into the go. office. There you go, sure. Um, and, uh, JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, he's been one of the most vocal critics of remote work, mm -hmm. you know, saying there's no substitute for spontaneous ideas. Does the sub do anything to that? We've got BA5 now. Uh, I, I live in Washington, but coming back to New York uh, to do some work here, I can see all of the testing tents are back on the corners. People are lined up to get COVID tests. I just wonder if there's going to be a turnaround here because Eric Adams, it's not just the firms. Uh, the the government as well is telling people to get back on the train, go back to work. Even the president is. Is, is that is there time for pause? Have you seen any indication of that? Well, earlier this year, actually, despite that very hard stance, there was mm -hmm. kind of an indication that some of the banks were 
starting to soften, probably because they had had feedback um, and resistance like a number of companies, you know, Apple, Airbnb, a handful of law firms, they've resisted some of the stricter policies. And there was kind of some evidence that there was softening. Again, Jamie Dimon, he said he, he, that he would allow, you know, the hybrid model to become a kind of permanent model, um, which, you know, is a bit of a sort of difference in his very sort of forthright stance at the beginning. So I think probably because they'd softened it a little bit, the emergence of, you know, wh whichever variants, um, probably they, they now have a little bit more flexibility than perhaps way back in September when um, the push was really on to bring people back for all the aforementioned reasons. Yeah. Is the three-day work week still a thing? Um, I think uh, Citadel, for example, I think um, most staff are back. Or can we say time. that everyone's back, that New York is back? God knows the traffic is. So I think I was reading a stat that nearly half of all office visits this year were just once a week. Huh. Um, I don't think New York is quite back. And indeed, the other camp, the non-JP Morgans, the non-Morgan Stanleys, there's, there's banks like Citi, um, which is run by Jane Fraser, and they've mm -hmm. been incredibly flexible. And they have, you know, offered this hybrid form of working. Um, so when you have that kind of approach, slightly different approach, I think, you know, we're probably not ever going to get back the numbers in on Wall Street that we used to have. That's a pretty scary thought. At the same time, uh, it doesn't matter what city you're in at this point. There's there's no traffic on Monday or Friday, right? Yep. Everyone's staring at Zoom, doing their meetings as late as they can on a Monday and starting their weekend as early as they can. I don't know if that keeps anybody safe or not, but to your point, it's kind of a new lifestyle. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um, I mean, you know, people still sort of complain that they're being dragged into the office and then they're still doing these Zoom calls. Um, right. And, you know, How true. we had we have um, bosses like the 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 um, chief executive officer of Jefferies, who kind of has made emotional appeals to sort of the mental health side of um, their staff saying, you know, we are mentally healthier when we are around each other regularly. Mm -hmm regularly and you know for juniors and for mid-level partners they need you know they need the empathetic yeah. seniors to help them and mentor how about them. you you're a journalist you work in a newsroom that's supposed yeah. to be the ultimate shared environment are you more effective in the office i think probably in terms of spontaneous idea generation yeah i think that probably happens a bit more when when we're in the office we did we made it work you um, sure did at home but I and think she's still making it work the u.s finance team leader at bloomberg news Sally Bakewell, great to have you on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. So much talk about COVID today in our conversation with Dr. Fauci and then monkeypox as well as the Department of Health and Human Services moves ahead with securing more vaccines for monkeypox as we reassemble the panel with an eye on the money here. That becomes the issue. I asked Dr. Fauci today about things running out, therapeutics, vaccines. Remember, they never got the COVID funding that they were looking for months and months ago. A $22 billion request from President Biden. It was whittled down to $10 billion and then left on the floor. And based on what we're seeing following our conversation earlier this hour with Congressman Katko, there may not be much room left for much more spending uh, on Capitol Hill as we head for August recess and then, of course, midterm elections. Great panel today. Rick Davis is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor, along with Al Mater, Democratic strategist and partner at Brownstein Hyatt. Uh, Rick, what's the reality check on this? If, if we really are going to start running out of therapeutics and vaccines, and the administration told us that we would already be by now, and this BA5 variant becomes something real, we get a, what is it, the sixth wave uh, or something since the beginning of COVID. This administration will be blamed for not being ready, right? Sure. Uh, uh, absolutely. They uh, have the obligation to use government to uh, support the public health of the nation. And nobody's going to look back and say, wow, you know, your your bill didn't pass. And right. therefore, uh, I can't get my treatments. Uh, they're going to have to find a way to ensure that these things uh, are available. And, and they're, they're doing a good job of actually making them more readily available. In other words, making it easier to get them, which means they may likely run out sooner than they otherwise would. So um, I, I think it's a bit of a, a, a quandary for the administration. And of course, the last thing they want to do is start focusing their public rhetoric around yeah, COVID again, right. right? I mean, it's just the uh, the political issue that won't go away. The reconciliation bill might have been a vehicle for that, Al. I don't know if that's true. It would have been as well for Obamacare subsidies. But how how could Democrats get to this money if, if it's not through the you know, through legislation, do we simply run out? No, I don't think that'll happen. <clears throat> I think the administration will need to be very targeted. And look, it's not just Republicans who complain about the money. It's people like Joe Manchin and Cinema and other moderate Democrats. Mm -hmm. We've overstimulated the economy to a degree with our COVID relief. But if they're targeted, the Congress will respond and give them the money they need, in my opinion. Remember the whole issue of clawing back uh, COVID funding from the states, Al? That's that's what got this thing bogged down to begin with. I mean, what kind of accountability should come with the spending of extra money? I think there ought to be plenty of accountability. That's a perfectly reasonable request to make, particularly given the inflationary pressures we have in our country. Mm -hmm. And we have thrown trillions of dollars into our economy. So that's a reasonable request. The administration ought to be okay with that. And I think that, you know, in addition to the war in Ukraine and gas prices, there's a lot, there's a reason why we have high inflation in this country. So that's fair. Rick, we've talked a lot about the uh, the congressional agenda, the short timeline. It seems to be a little bit different every day. I just wonder what your thought is now after Joe Manchin dropped the gauntlet on this whole thing last night. Reconciliation. No, wait till September. We're going to see another inflation report. Is that his way of saying that he's out? Yeah, I think he made himself pretty clear in the uh, interview he did today. He's certainly out of any conversation that's going to massively increase uh, this administration's approach to climate uh, and uh, try to find revenue raisers uh, on uh, wealthy Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that was uh, unequivocal, uh, his statements related to those two things. And, of course, those are core 
to this administration's efforts around this latest reconciliation bill. So uh, we thought it was a tight squeeze to get something yeah. in before the recess. And I think he's now made that uh, an impossibility. And, and so the question is, will this administration turn and, and focus on uh, the, uh, the CHIPS Act or getting something done around USICA? Uh, so that they can at least declare victory before the cycle, you know, before the recess in uh, in August. Boy. Once you come back from August, it's a different world, Al. Could they get anything done then, or is it too late? It's not too late, and this, I'm going to disagree with Rick here. I talk to the Mansion folks fairly often, and they are open to doing a bill in September that includes climate provisions. Uh, they just need to see a signal that inflation's coming down. Hmm. And they will have a signal, whether it's good or bad, by then. And if it is coming down, he will be negotiating on climate in September. Uh, mark my word. Well, my goodness, it keeps going up and coming in hotter than expected. If that's the case, the deal's off? Yes. If inflation keeps going up, he will not do that. He would be wow. willing to agree, I believe, to a narrow bill that deals with prescription drug prices and the ACA subsidies. But that's probably it. Our panel on Bloomberg Sound On with Al Motter and Rick Davis. We're about two-thirds of the way through primary season here, gentlemen. I want to talk about the Senate race that's well underway now in Pennsylvania, uh, as they were earlier on in the calendar. This, of course, would be the race featuring television personality Dr. Oz, along with John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, uh, who's had some of his uh, own issues here regarding his health and so forth. But this has been essentially too close to call. Uh, the, the the race as called by uh, 538, uh, a toss-up, real clear, has uh, Fetterman at 50, Oz at 44. These are really close numbers for this stage, which must be, I'm assuming, why John Fetterman has gone to the extent of drafting Snooky into his campaign. These, this is real. Uh, John Fetterman has, remembering that Dr. Oz, Mehmet Oz, is from New Jersey, this is a race in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman tried to find the ultimate troll, and by that I mean trolling, to go after his opponent. This is just posted on Twitter. Listen to this. Hey, Matt. This is Nicole Snooky. Um, and I'm from Jersey Shore. I don't know if you've seen of it before. Um, but I'm a hot mess on a reality show, basically, and I enjoy life. Um, but I heard that you moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to look for a new job. And personally, I don't know why anyone would want to leave Jersey because it's like the best place ever. And we're all hot well, messes. Um, but I want to say best of luck to you. Yep. I know you're away from home and you're in a new place. <laughs> but Jersey will not forget you. I just want to let you know. I will not forget you. Um, and don't worry, because you'll be back home in Jersey soon. This is only temporary. I didn't even so know good luck. You here. got this, and Jersey loves you. My kid informed Mwah. me, oh, and with the kiss, that, uh, that no, Snooky's bigger than ever. I guess there are clothing lines and all this stuff. But politics, Rick Davis, is this a clever move? Absolutely. Uh, John McCain and Snooky had a relationship on Twitter oh, no. and everyone was scratching their head because they couldn't figure out what the connection was. But Snooky loved John McCain. That means you've spent time with Snooky. She's a player. Yeah. She gets into the politics very well. And uh, is that what this is about? Does she actually care about who wins? Oh, I think I think she probably has a point of view. Uh, and, this guy's uh, a carpetbagger. And it's, it's pretty it's pretty entertaining that they 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 go after uh, Mehmet for leaving New Jersey. I mean, like I think you know, send him back. I guess is the message. <laughs> it's and, a funny uh, way to get to it, Al. I don't know if if you're if you're laughing along with us here, uh, but to create this sort of the seemingly unknowing Snooky saying, "Hey, it's okay. You're going to be back." 
before you know it certainly drives home the message, doesn't it? Hey, I love it. I mean, I saw this on Twitter yesterday and I was laughing out loud. <laughs> I mean, Fetterman is authentic. I think that voters like authentic candidates and he subtly exposes Oz for being unauthentic as he did earlier when he pointed out that Oz actually filmed a campaign message from his New Jersey house. And so you can't escape facts like that. It's not positive for him. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a great way to expose the hypocrisy and uh, help Pennsylvanians understand who's on their side. So what do you do if uh, you're Dr. Oz, if you're Mehmet Oz here, Rick Davis, do you, do you get the situation to endorse your campaign? Yeah, I, I wouldn't get anyone from New Jersey to endorse my campaign, right. but I but I would definitely be looking for some uh, well-known celebrity from yeah. you know Pittsburgh that uh, right. could give me a lift up because uh, he needs to approach this with the same level of humor that the Fetterman campaign approached it, and uh, and I think that can disarm it a lot. We're just looking at his uh, endorsement page. He's got Ted Nugent in there, Matt. That's true, right? Ted Nugent uh, can go a long way on the campaign trail. I just don't know if it is in Pennsylvania. Al, what do you think? I think if he hires Rick Davis, he might have a chance, but otherwise <laughs> he's in a bit of trouble. As long as Fetterman's health rebounds and he gets out on that campaign trail, usually the more positive optimistic authentic candidate wins in these statewide races and that's john Fetterman. yeah I, but this race is too close to call here rick i mean we can be wise guys about snooki but but dr oz has the endorsement of donald trump and he's been doing incredibly well despite the fact that he's coming from new jersey yeah i mean look it's a it's a good republican year and a lot of pennsylvania politics have been drifting uh toward the republican column uh picking up support in these uh white blue collar uh districts are really giving republicans a much better chance statewide than we used to have and so uh this really should be a great opportunity to hold um the toomey seat but uh i must say uh, Fetterman has done a good job of being you know mr everyman uh, i would say the the cloud hanging over uh, Fetterman right now is just, you know, getting back up and, and into the campaign and, and showing voters that that he's been able to, you know, get beyond the health scare. And um, and and I doubt if Mehmet Oz is going to let him uh, uh, move too quickly beyond that. How does he shut that down, Al? He's going to go out there and do push-ups in the street or something. How does uh, Fetterman make people feel better about his health? Well, he started doing public appearances, and that helps a lot. A and yes, I mean, he's a big guy. He needs to show he's healthy and vibrant, and, and that'll come. Um, and then once that's behind him, I think it'll be a pretty robust race. But look, if, if he does have lingering health problems, that, of mm -hmm. course, will be a concern. It's fair for Oz to raise it. Remarkably, how about this? None of his former TV show co-stars endorsing his campaign to be continued on the fastest hour in politics thanks to rick davis as always and al Motter for joining us today along with the rest of our guests congressman john katko and sally bakewell great conversation we'll learn a lot this week i'll meet you back here monday this is bloomberg Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk. 
from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.